your host, John Kingston, here at the place where we drill deep into the topic of the day. And we also talk about oil and diesel, the lifeblood of trucking. If you don't drill for it, you don't get it. We're going to talk later to a guest about something that is a very vital part of the supply chain. Doesn't get a lot of focus, but you know, all you have to do is look at the chip shortage in cars, and you can see where sometimes the things you don't think about can create a lot of problems. We're going to talk about pallets today with an expert on that. Great discussion, so hang in for that. Some statistics to start things off. On Thursday of this week, West Texas Intermediate Crude settled at 68.85 a barrel. The last time it was that high was just before Halloween. That's Halloween in 2018. It's pretty incredible just how far we've come in the past few weeks. It's been a steady, consistent climb. For trucking, the good news is that if you work in the oil patch, this has got to be helping the demand for your services. Of course, it isn't always that simple. A company called Enveris, which has one of the most widely respected rig counts in the market, says the U.S. rig count is down 4% in the last month, even as the price has risen. But in the most recent week, it's up by four rigs. The correlation is obviously tight, but it isn't perfect. Still, higher prices are far more likely to bring about activity than not. The price of ultra-low sulfur diesel on the CME Commodity Exchange did not hit a high for this year on that same day that crude did, but it did come in at the second highest day since the start of 2020 when the market had no idea what awaited it. But some perspective on oil. Here are some headlines from Bloomberg on that day that WTI hit that highest level in more than two and a half years. Surging lumber costs, derailing chicken farm expansion. Shortage of Asia made jute bags, threatens Nigerian cocoa exports. Shipping container rates top $10,000 from Asia to Europe. Freeport CEOs sees extraordinarily strong copper market. We're in the midst of a commodity boom, and oil isn't even sticking out as one of the stronger performers. The rise in oil and other commodities might have been even higher this week if it wasn't for the U.S. dollar showing some strength. The dollar and commodities tend to move in opposite directions. There hasn't been much fundamental news affecting oil markets recently. OPEC is going to meet next week and is expected to do nothing. Iranian oil exports are rising as the prospect of a renewed nuclear deal with the U.S. looms and with it the end of sanctions. But that should be pushing prices down, and so far it hasn't. U.S. inventories of all petroleum products and crude are right back about where they were when the pandemic was starting. Outside of the horrible day that oil had on Wednesday, more on that in a minute, there is really not a lot going on in petroleum right now. But on Wednesday, the long-term future of oil got hit with some very big things. All in this one day, one day, ExxonMobil lost a shareholder vote. And two climate activists will now be on their board with the mission of shifting the company's focus away from fossil fuels and toward renewable energy. Chevron shareholders supported a call for the company to reduce emissions from the end use of its fuels. And a Dutch court ordered Shell to cut its carbon dioxide emissions by a large amount by the end of the decade. Where all this matters is that the consumers of diesel fuel are concerned about price. But really, price is simply a function of supply and demand. If there are outside or now internal forces pushing Chevron, Exxon, and others to reduce their supply, we know where this is going, higher prices in the long term. I used to attend meetings of the Society of Independent Gasoline Marketers of America. There are companies like Wawa in the Northeast or Racetrack in the Southeast. At the meeting, they used to have this great session on regulatory affairs that lasted about three hours. And for a reporter covering oil, it was just a great review of everything regulatory that might impact oil. What came through was that all those members of Sigma, as it was known, all they cared about was supply, supply of gasoline. Maybe it wasn't all they cared about, but it was easily their biggest concern. They were always worried about anything that might impact supply. 
it's not even that they wanted high prices for gasoline, even though those those high prices would be at their station. You think that maybe they profit from it. They hated high prices. It didn't help their margins. And it also meant that their customers had less money to spend in their convenience stores. And, you know, I'd say kind of the same thing to the diesel buying community. If you want to be concerned about anything regarding these anti-fossil fuels move, it's to worry about the long-term impact on supply. The impact is not now. It isn't even next year. But it has the potential to be there someday. We just don't really know when someday is. We're going to pivot now here on Drilling Deep. First, I want to tell a little bit of a story. I was out driving this morning, the the morning of the day that I'm recording this, and I went past a printing they're not really a shop. They're a little more than a shop. They're somewhere between a printing plant and a printing shop. They're fairly large. Uh, and they've been there forever in my town. And as I drove past, I noticed that they outside, they had around eight to 10 wooden pallets stacked up in front of their plant. And they had a sign there, pallets for sale. Now, mind you, in my entire life, I have never seen pallets being sold by this facility. And it wouldn't have made an impact on me, except by that time, I had already scheduled this week's guest for drilling deep. And I thought, ah, I get it. The pallet market is so hot that even printing plants, I guess, are taking their pallets that they used to bring in some kind of supply and they're reselling them. It just just was amazing. Uh, The timing is perfect because pallets are a vital part of the freight supply chain. And we've got Matt Zielinski here today to talk about it. Matt is an industry analyst in the Fredonia Group division of marketresearch.com. He's done a lot of work on pallets, and he's here on Drilling Deep today to talk about what he sees in the market. Matt, thanks for joining us. Uh, Thank you. It's funny you mention that because I help run a community food pantry. And uh, up till about a year ago, whenever we had, we'd get boxes of canned goods and pallets. And when we were done or we emptied the boxes, we just put the pallets outside and they'd be picking them up next week. And now, no, no, when they drop off of canned goods, they take the pallets with them. There's no leakage or anything with the system because that's that those are pallets are lost and they can't get them back. So that's how yeah, tight yeah, the market kind of, is. It's kind of like restaurants and um, their grease traps. Of course, restaurants have to capture their grease and they do have a company that usually comes in to take it away. The problem that they find when the price of diesel gets really high and the price, the price of um, the price of grease gets really high is people will come at night and steal the grease right out of the trap because it's not a lot of security on it because nobody ever really thought that that was going to be a problem. So anyway, let's talk about um, about the pallet market. It's very tight. Of course, I think every t- every market in America is tight. But in a recent report that uh, that you sent me that I read, you identified three problems. Um, the one was the price of lumber, which we know is a problem. The second is the price of nails. And the third is labor, which is a really a problem for everybody. So why don't you talk about how tight the pallet market is and what do you think are the major causes? Well, the, the pallet market is tight is because demand is very high. Uh, many more items are being shipped on pallets. We talk about the supply chain issues, everything, especially now with this rise in e-commerce. Uh, in the old days, basically, you know, there's an extra layer of shipping as people are buying things that are being sent through Amazon, they're being shipped to Amazon, it comes in on a pallet, it's palletized there, and then, of course, everything is put in a pallet again uh, before it goes off to the truck. Uh, another another reason why the pallet market is tight is we've increased production and shipments of medical products. And in the U.S., a lot of medical products have to be shipped, I don't know, they call virgin or new pallets. Those are pallets that are just made, they're not been used to ship anything else. Uh, and therefore, that means that you need demand. You need these things made and assembled and shipped right away to the manufacturing facility for you know PPE, pharmaceuticals, medical goods, that sort of thing. So there's a, there's a higher demand for new pallets, and the problem is there's not a, we're in a, there's a lumber shortage. 
uh, pallets are made from both hardwood and softwood lumber, and the softwood lumber market is very tight, as we know. Lumber prices have skyrocketed, uh, demand for housing is high, all this revolution in DIY, DIY home, pro home project, products, the projects that are going on, and so a lot of people are having trouble getting lumber. In the pallet industry, uh, many firms have supply, chain, supply contracts. They get X number of cans a year or a week or month, whatever. Uh, in a lot of those cases, these, you know, the suppliers have to, you know, have been able to declare force majeure or they're shipping what they have. And they only, instead of maybe getting a thousand cans, they get 500. Uh, and so that's a problem. And so that you can tell it's really an exacerbated for the people who don't have these supply contracts, the smaller mom and pop pallet manufacturers and repairers. They can't get the products they need because they're they're sort of behind the eight ball, behind the chain, if you will. So let's let's talk for a minute about the role of e-commerce because you mentioned that to me when we when we spoke the other day, and I was a little surprised in the sense that I would have thought that yes, e-commerce has been totally disruptive, but you know in the past maybe the pallet would have gone to the retail outlet to the store, and now the the pallet goes to the Amazon warehouse or some other e-commerce warehouse. So why isn't it just a wash? Why why does it create demand for more pallets? One well there. Uh... One reason is why they're being handled more, and in turn that causes some more pallets are often not handled with TLC. They get damaged, they get nicked up, and very few pallets nowadays are truly scrapped. In the old days, you'd use a pallet, throw it away. Nowadays, they try to take better care of them, uh, so these pallets, if they're, you know, they're pieces, parts that are damaged, uh, they'll fix or repair them. Sometimes they'll junk a pallet and take it apart. Other times they have replacement cans, uh, but they're getting handled more. As they go across the chain, more items being shipped, they're having heavier loads, uh, they're being transferred across the country, so there's more of that. And then, then in general, just more items are being shipped through the pallet, and there's more pallet handling, and more more, problems, more items are being shipped across the way as, as you go farther into the ch chain, I would say. Uh, you know, it's not quite a wash. There's a bit more extra handling in the process, and again, there's there's people are buying more and less in bulk and more as they need it. Uh, so that does add up along the way. So there are more pallets that are being used, uh, the most new pallets and then the recycled pallets or the reclaimed ones. Well, what goes into the process of recycling a pallet? When, when does a, I'm not even sure who makes the decision on this, look at a pallet and say, this thing's done. It's, it's, it's effective life is over. It's so beat up versus, versus it looks okay. We can reuse it. Well, there's a, there are what they call pallet management services, or these are most pallet, a lot of pallets in the U.S. are not actually, they're owned by one company and they're rented or leased out to the end user. Uh, you know, the blue ones are owned by a company called CHEP, uh, the red are those Pico pallets. And so what happens is they will own them, return, they will own these pallets, they'll ship them to say your local grocery store chain for a month, and the end of the month then they'll pick up the pallets, and they'll look at the pallets and see how, how badly damaged they are. And they'll evaluate them, and then they'll say, you know, we can save this one, but we need to replace these three stringers here. We need a crossboard here, and whatnot. So usually, it's done at the, not so much you know, the manufacturer, the owner of the pallets, and they'll make that decision. And usually, recycling rates vary depending on in general, but I'd say now it's probably at higher because of the shortage of lumber and the fact that there's so few, there's so little slack in the pallet stock, if you will, that they don't want to break one apart unless they really have to. Right now, how much of the market is wood pallets, and are you seeing any shift over to plastic because wood is so tight? Wood's about ninety percent, give or take. Uh, and I, is there seeing some? Yes, I think there's a little bit. I mean, there wood plastic is slowly taking share, uh, but it's not not been a, a huge sea change. I mean, because plastic pallets are much more expensive initially. You know, there are some people say you make more value in the long run because they last longer, uh, whereas a wood pallet eventually gets 
damaged, broken up after a number of trips. Uh, I think, you know, right now, especially the lumber prices being so high, uh, you know, that, that cost, the cost benefit of, of a wood pallet is much less. And I think more and more firms are going to say it might be better to invest in these plastic pallets. So I think you're definitely going to see plastic taking a little bit more market share now in the next couple of years going forward. Do you have any numbers you can provide us on, let's say, the, well, a couple of things? First of all, the price of a pallet now versus the price of a pallet, let's say, a year ago, and the price of a wood pallet versus the price of a plastic pallet? I can. Uh, well, it sort of varies because it's a very local, regional market based on availability and all. Uh, I've seen stuff ranging from 10 to $20 for a wood pallet. Uh, it depends on the condition of the pallet. Is it new? How much damage has it been under? Uh, yeah, also, there are, you know, there's pallet imbalances. Some places have a lot of pallets. Sometimes... And we talk about, you know, I know I've certainly read things about the shortage, you know, shipping containers or rail cars or whatnot. Pallets are another thing in that. So in some parts of the U.S., they don't have enough pallets. Pallets are going to be higher. So that would be the, there's there's not a, you know, one answer I can give you, but there's a range and it's usually 10 to 20, give or take. So, uh, you know, there's, there's usually, you know, people buy by brokers, you can buy them new, you can buy them, you know, as you said, from, you know, a local industrial firm, but that's much less of a player now because there's there's so many more few more pallets are owned by pallet management firms and they they keep better track of their system or their, their stock so can people work around pallets you know pa i mean pa not all freight is packed in a pallet i'm not really sure what the criteria is for when you decide to to use a pallet to essentially border up your freight uh when it gets high do you find that some companies might say well you know this freight can go without a pallet or is it is it just kind of standard in certain types of products it's standard in some i some many products i mean they're, they're certainly looking for you know alternatives uh you know they have those what they call flexible intermediate bulk containers uh you can ship you know sacks to say flour or you know resin pellets uh sometimes they'll use a like a slip sheet which is a you know, sort of basically a board with a pallet uh, you know, plastic totes, wooden crates, carpenter boxes. Uh, you can sometimes even just, you know, sort of wrap and ship goods in bulk and hope for the best. Uh, but most items are, are packaged in pallets. It's pretty, it's a pretty versatile way of handling things. And don't forget also then, uh, you know, it's very easy to ship them in then in a, you know, on a forklift. You can just stick the, you know, forklift in and lift them, carrying where they go. And most pallets are sort of designed, you know, they're what they call the grocery pallet, the standard size. You can be three or four in a container or a truck. And so a lot of our, our shipping system is designed so the items are designed to be put on pallets. Yeah, whatever you might save on the idea of not using a pallet, just the loss of efficiency would be a tremendous, I would think. Yes. Uh, you know, for all the, you know, there are, there are certainly maybe faults of the pallet. They, they're not very durable in our They're roughly handled. Uh, they didn't get lost. They're splinters. There's items, but they're very versatile. And uh, they, they revolutionized shipping and, and packaging products once they were quickly adopted and i'm not sure you know you see a shift maybe again from uh, wood to plastic but i'm not really sure you're going to see a shift away from the pallet in general so i'm talking about shift this is very much a domestic industry is it not this is not one of these areas where the chinese or some other uh, low cost low, low wage country has taken over the pallet market what gets used in the u.s tends to get made in the u.s is that correct Correct. We have ample lumber supplies traditionally, uh, maybe not now, but normally there's there's lots of wood in the south southeast. There's plenty of wood in the west. Uh, there's plenty of firms who can you know make pallets. So I mean there is a global pallet market, of course, but most pallets are generally you know there might be some you know, shipments of pallets. You know we ship items to China, they ship to us, do we pick up some pallets or lose them that way? But most pallets that are made in the U.S. stay in the U.S. And that's where the market is. They're, they're carried across the U.S. Um, so there's not really, there's some trade, but not much. We don't really need it. It's more incidental that you sort of, you know, drop off and lost there. 
How did COVID affect the pallet market? Did it uh, shut down manufacturing for a while? Uh, facilities were closed. I noticed in one of your commentaries, you said that the pallet manufacturers were designated as essential, uh, essential businesses. So clearly they had that, uh, they had that identification and it, w- it was seen how important that was. Uh, wh- where are some of the impacts maybe that were the, the groundwork was laid, let's say a year ago, and we're feeling the impact of it now? There's a varied ways. I uh, you know, one thing I've noticed generally, especially in the early stages of the pandemic, it's carried on. If a facility had a positive COVID test by an employee, they'd stop production and everything gets sort of deep clean, all the equipment, everything there. So if you were a pallet manufacturer, or pallet refurbisher, that would be one one problem. They'd have to stop and clean it, even if you know. Then of course everybody had to stay home. If they came in contact with the employee, uh, that's affected a lot of things, a lot of industries along the way. This loss of critical personnel even for a short period of time while they're in quarantine you can't start the equipment that sort of thing uh so that affected the pallets the wood shortage is a crisis that we've discussed uh i think getting items to and from getting pallets to and from places has been an issue there's you know we talk i know you're more aware than i am but there's a shortage of, of truckers and haulers and people can move goods up to and including pallets and i'm shifting pallets so again there might be plenty of pallets in one part of the u.s but they're not if they, they're stuck at the plant they can't get to where they need to be elsewhere uh, this certainly affects even, you know, panel management firms. So they have a designated fleet of trucks to handle, to move pallets where they need to be in case they need to. That's definitely something there. Uh, the surge in demand, uh, if you were, uh, you know, in the early days, for instance, the shortage of toilet paper, uh, as a matter of getting a toilet paper onto a pallet, onto a truck. So again, if they had, thankfully, a lot of these plants are in the, you know, the Southeast where there's plenty of lumber mills and wood facilities, but again, they still define the pallets and get them there. Uh, so I think, you know, again, these problems haven't gone away. I mean, they've sort of been, as the, pandemic has gone on and receded they're becoming less of an issue but they're still an issue and it the supply chain any other it's it's like any other commodity in the supply chain they just need there's an imbalance of supply and demand and the it's hard to correct immediately so you've done some projections of growth rates uh is the growth rate for pallets essentially a one-to-one correlation with some kind of freight volume growth rate or uh is there some distinction um uh, where maybe it's not quite one-to-one I think I think it might be a bit higher, maybe a little. I mean, I think one thing I think I've certainly seen and read of people interested in there's what we call the pallet stock, which is the number of pallets in circulation. And I, I know I, some people have said, you know, maybe we need to bump up our pallet stock numbers to make sure we have extras or slack uh, in case something like this happens again. Uh, much as like firms are looking to, you know, build more plants in the U.S. or we need to have a, a strategic chip, you know, uh, chip manufacturing, you know, process here. Firms are saying, you know, we need to bump up the number of pallets we have. And this is not just pallet management firms or companies who maybe get together and pool pallets. Uh, a lot of, you know, fruit growers or produce growers might have a pallet pool. There's 10 or 12 farms they have their own network of pallets. They might say, we need to have an extra couple hundred on its hand. Uh, so I think demand in the short term might pick up a little more as companies sort of beep up their pallet supply chain. Uh, then long term, uh, you know, I think, you know, we're the idea is as more plastic pallets enter the stock demand might drop because these plastic pallets are more durable but it doesn't quite work out that way because people still need the wood pallets uh they still tend to get broken damaged chipped and so they still need wood pallets in the system as well so i I, there's there's not a direct correlation there's some but also i think people know or now you see they need more pallets in general yeah it was interesting i was looking over the uh the, the press release that your company put out about your the work you've done the one that caught my eye and led to this interview and um, in there, it says, as a result, retail prices for produce could go up due to the added cost of distribution. Now, on the one hand, I would think, well, I mean, okay, the, the cost of the pallet goes up. According to this, prices are up 400% since last April. 
um, quite a bit. That's quite a bit. Um, on the other hand, how much does that affect the price of produce? But it's an important lesson for the supply chain because every little number adds up. There's not one big number. So an increase in the price of pallets uh, in the price of the, in the the food supply chain, given that pallets are always used for produce, uh, you know, it's, it's just one component of a whole lot of others that are adding to inflation. Yes. Uh, in the early days of the pandemic, there were, I know there were certainly concerns about the safety of pallets. Do they need to have these things clean and sterilized? Uh, you know, they're trying to minimize the, the transmission of, of, of COVID. Uh, in the, you know, some of the early days, they were more concerned about, you know, contact with infective services. Now I think more they're worried about aerosols and droplets. But that was, again, people, do we need to clean and sterilize these things? Traditionally, that's not something they've been considered. And you put, on, you put the you put the products on the pallet, it leaves the warehouse or it goes to the, the factory, the grocery store, whatever, and that's that. Uh, so there's another thing they were looking at is do we need to maybe look at cleaning these things or sterilizing them? I mean, something you can do, of course, but it's a commodity. It's a pallet. It's not something you, the first thing you do. But no, you're correct. That's uh, one of the many items, that this, this sort of you know, cost push inflation that we're starting to see right now. So, And pallets are one of them. One thing, you know, there's, old, there's a long, long-held view in the, in the commodity markets, and it's an old phrase, uh, the cure for high prices is high prices, and the cure for low prices is low prices. Um, and I'm thinking in terms of pallets, with the prices this high, first of all, just because you have high prices, you could have lousy margins on the uh, profitability of taking lumber and turning it into a pallet. Uh, even though the prices may, may be up there, that doesn't necessarily mean it's a profitable action to take. Uh, but are you seeing any kind of reaction in the market to this? Are you seeing uh, more supply coming on the market? Are you seeing suppliers uh, ramp up their manufacturing facilities to make more? Well, it's funny because a couple of sawmills recently announced, uh, sawmill firms have announced plans are going to increase, they're going to boost production capacity. Uh, the problem is that won't probably come online for another year or so. Uh, so it's, I would say the U.S. has a lot fewer sawmills than it did a decade ago. A bunch of a lot of a lot of facilities closed right after the Great Recession, and they really haven't come back online. So companies can limit, you know, can do some debottlenecking. They can run extra shifts, uh, but it's very hard. You can't even, you know, even to put up a new sawmill somewhere. It's going to take maybe a year, eighteen months. So I think for the next year or so, uh, right now they're just getting as much timber to lumber as possibly can. So that's the main issue. They're gonna, they can try. They can get some things. For instance, you know, I mean, I think it's, you know, it's been, as staffing, staffing is less of an issue as everybody gets vaccinated and there's fewer transmissions of COVID. So places will be up at 100%, you know, occupancy, and they will get production closer to 105%, if you will. But um, you know, it's like, you know, I mean, there's timber, but timber prices are low. Uh, so that's the problem. There's very little incentive for people to sell. There's just a lot of timber. We planted a lot of pine forests 30, 40 years ago. So there's plenty, there's almost, there's a surplus of timber. It's sort of the, 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 one of the ironies of this, there's too much, too much wood, but not enough actual lumber. Uh, so that's one that's interesting. Okay. So, so the raw material that you're saying is in plentiful supply. It's the process for making it into something that is significant, right? You know, that, that we, we see so much of that right now. I saw a, a, a picture, a news picture online today of some plant somewhere, I, I think in Detroit, shut down completely. And why was it shut down completely? Because it couldn't get chips. And uh, we, we, talk, we talked about the chip shortage here at Freight Waves. And uh, this is just kind of really one more part of it. I can't imagine the supply line shutting down because of lack of a pallet. But I don't know, could it, could it ever get to that point where some companies have to cut back operations because they simply can't get enough pallets to ship their goods out? I, uh, possibly. I, I think there's enough pallets out there. They'll be able to move some product. Uh, it's a lot of places a matter of getting 
unused pallets or excess pallets to customers. Uh, you know, certainly from the research we've been talking to, all these pallet management firms, these pallet pools, uh, their stocks are, are low uh, because they have as much product as they can out there. They're, 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 there's no incentive for them to sit in a big warehouse full of pallets. That's not how they make money. Uh, since it's simply a matter of then getting all these pallets to where they need to go in some cases. Uh, you know, for instance, I was talking about say, fruit growers. I mean, once the produce is shipped, they might not need pallets for a few weeks or months. So then they have, say, you know, 10,000, you know, all the, all, the, all the apples are shipped from the, from the orchard. Once they're, out, once they're released from the, the, the packaging facility, where do those pallets go? Well, they have to be funneled through the system. They have to be brought back to the plant, uh, fixed, repaired if need be, cleaned, and then sent out to take, handle another product, you know, consumer goods, roofing, whatnot. So it's simply a, it's a time issue there, but I'm not sure, you know, given the shortage of lumber, there's not really, I mean, they're going to maximize power production as best they can, but there's not much they can do. I mean, I've, I've certainly heard people saying the only people who really are profiting from this are the, the lumber sawmill companies. Uh, they're the ones who are making the most money of this, but everybody else is trying just to get as much product as they can. And, you know, pallet manufacturers are competing with home builders. They're competing with lumber retailers. They're competing with anybody else who needs lumber right now. So again, uh, it's, they're getting it as soon as they can, as soon as the product's produced. Man, I want to thank you for joining us and filling in our listeners on everything to know about pallets. It is obviously a very important point of uh, the supply chain. I'll tell you another pallet story beside the one I kicked off with. Uh, early in my career when I was covering metals, uh, I did not know what a pallet was. And somebody referred to a, the price of a, of a a bundle of metals that they sold and they called it pallet boxes. And I had, had to ask him what a pallet was. And I could hear in his voice, the response was, what an idiot that he doesn't know that. But uh, I think anybody listening already knew what a pallet was, but because of Matt Zielinski of the Verdonia Group, we now know a lot more. Matt, thanks for joining us here on Drilling Deep. No problem. Thank you. So you have been listening to Drilling Deep. We are part of the Freightcast family of podcasts from Freightwaves. You can find us on all the major platforms for podcasts. I have been your host, John Kingston, and please join us again.